Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two, Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Dave Sloshberg. Dave is the owner and founder of Poly Performance and Synergy Manufacturing, CEO of both, I believe it is your official title. Dave, thank you very much for coming on board and uh, spending some time with us. Well, hey, Rich. I uh, appreciate you reaching out to me and inviting me to be a part of uh, what you got going on here. I think what you're doing is pretty awesome and, and happy to be here chatting with you. Well, great. So let's uh, let's jump right in with both feet and uh, get started at the very beginning. Where were you born and raised? Born and raised in Northern California. It used to be a small little town, Folsom, California. Okay. Uh, at the base of the uh, Sierra Nevada mountains, there some people uh, are familiar with it from the old Johnny Cash song, you know, Folsom, Folsom Prison, Prison Blues. Yep. There, yep, and uh, you know you got Folsom Lake over there, and just Kind of the the gateway to the foothills, uh, not too far from the uh, the Rubicon Trail, actually. So that is uh, where I was born and raised, and uh, m- most of my family, all of my family, still lives up there, and uh, and uh, try to get back there as much as possible. And uh, so grew up there, and went to, you know, after I finished high school there, I uh, uh, ended up going down to Cal Poly. State University in San Luis Obispo and uh, resided down here ever since. Um, but do do have a a place up the hill up near the uh, up near Lake Tahoe that I venture back to as often as I can. So yeah, and and you it survived it survived the fire. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty incredible that uh, that it did. So our little little cabin up there. Uh, was built originally by my my grandpa in the in the fifties. It's up off what's called the Philip Track up near uh, the Sierra Tahoe Resort and Echo Lake area. Okay. And uh, when that Caldor fire blew through back in uh, late August, there that burned the whole the whole neighborhood down. I think fifty eight, fifty six or fifty eight homes burned down. So it was uh, basically my place that I had rebuilt back in 2012 and uh my neighbors on either side of me were the only surviving 
homes out of the fire. So pretty, pretty amazing to still be standing. Um, yeah, yeah. I saw you post the, the pictures of the video that was, uh, circulating online with one of the news reporters. And it, it was strange because driving down the road, everything's just burnt out, you know, still smoldering and everything. And then there's three houses in a row. Yeah. So kind of an interesting story with that. So I, I rebuilt that place in 2012 and used a construction uh, material kind of design. It's called ICF construction. It's like these foam blocks where you pour concrete in the middle of them. And then you, you know, you can attach drywall to the inside and, you know, you can stucco or do other stuff to the outside, but we use a hardy board. So pretty much the whole house is built out of concrete and the lot was cleared real good when we did that about 10 years ago. So I, I really uh, attribute the construction that we used to build the place and, you know, no exposed eaves and metal roof that kind of allowed it to, to dodge the fire. And then the guy on the East side of me, you know, 48 hours before that fire blew through, he came up there and he's like an aerospace engineer type of guy. And he, he wrapped his whole house in tinfoil and somehow that, that kept him from burning up. Uh, but the, uh, my neighbor to the to the west of me there there's no explanation on why he's still standing it's pretty incredible so i'm just happy to be still together in one piece and and uh really sad about the neighborhood and about all my neighbors up there and a lot of a lot of history since that neighborhoods right you know a lot of the people living up there were you know there were cabins handed down through the uh through the generations there so really sad to see that but hopefully we're we'll be able to build back so an aerospace guy, engineer, using tinfoil for something besides a hat. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> incredible. It's, uh, and it wasn't just, you know, they, they make special material to go do that, and that's not even what he used. He used just some industrial-grade, tooth-thick aluminum foil he had left over from another job he was working on and just jammed up there and stapled it all up to his house. And it's, it's incredible, really. Wow. So, growing up in Folsom, you're uh, you're a pro. You're what in your forties, I think. Yeah. Okay. Forty forty two as of today. Forty two. Yeah. Okay. Congratulations. Happy uh, birthday. Something like that. It wasn't too long ago. Yeah. Okay. The Folsom. Well, back then it was still. It was kind of rural, a lot more so than it is now. El Dorado Hills hadn't oh, yeah. started expanding. Oh, none of that was there. I mean, you basically had, uh, you know, two main roads through town, you know, and, uh, you know, the town was pretty much like that Sutter Street area and then the high school area. And then uh, and they just started really stacking it up and building it up. And boy, that is a different place today than when I grew up there. That was for sure. So, right. And the the schools changed location, hasn't it? The old school, the old high school became. Oh, yeah. That's actually, uh, yeah. That, that was the high school is now one of the junior highs. My sister actually is a a junior high school math teacher at that location. Oh, really? Where I went to high school. <laughs> yeah, and uh, teaching junior high, and uh, yeah, I think I think there's at least there's one. There might be two high schools there now. It's it's grown really a lot. I haven't paid too much attention to that sort of stuff, but uh, it's like I said, it's, that town has 
not what it what it used to be, but it's it's still cool. It's a cool place to to hang out sometimes. Yeah, it's pretty much built up all the way from Sacramento all the way up to Cameron Park at least anymore. Yeah, and they're really starting to to cut and build stuff over near the Prairie City off road OHV area where they have all the uh, old four races at. Right. I see them starting to develop all that stuff, so they still got some room to to spread out over there before they start going up the hill. I mean, I guess they're already doing that. They're building all the way to Placerville now, so right. it seems like. So, growing up at that time in in Folsom, what were the what were the things that you were interested in? What got you what got your heart pumping? Well, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I've always been to like been into automotive stuff and you know, playing with cars and and you know, then into RC stuff as you get a little bit older, but you know, my first I think what got me going on the Jeep stuff really was uh I took my first Jeep trip when I was about 8 years old and uh and it was uh with one of the uh, associates of my my grandpa had a construction company up there and his his partner for the construction company had uh, some Jeep stuff and a little cabin and I you know I remember just riding in the back of this old Willie's flat fender going up these uh going up these Jeep trails and just you know there's I I got a couple photos maybe I'll send you one but there's a you know just smile from you know ear to ear yep on me back then and you know, as I uh, got older, you know, you start reading magazines. You know, back then there was no internet, so you're, you know, when you're a kid, you, you got something you're interested. You're re- you're reading some skateboard magazines, or you're reading some BMX magazines, or you know the, or you're reading some uh, RC magazines. And then when you you get a little older, you start reading some Jeep magazines, right? So yep. I. You know, I remember rushing home from school, always checking the mailbox to see what magazine was coming in the mail, you know, and just reading four-wheel drive, sport utility magazine, JP magazine, four-wheel and off-road magazine, you know, had all the, uh, all the subscriptions that you could, that you could have, you know, and just, you know, really, uh, really excited about that stuff. So, you know, came of age of, you know, where you could you know, start saving up and getting your license for a vehicle. I worked at a pizza joint over there, Pizzeria Classico. I think it's still around. They got a couple locations there, at least one in Folsom. And geez, I think I worked there on and off for three or four years, but, you know, saving, uh, saving up dough to, to buy my first Jeep, which was, uh, a 91 Jeep Wrangler and, uh, did some work to that and just, you know, doing some four wheeling. It's funny actually back then, you know, there really wasn't, there wasn't, I mean, there was always stuff to, to go and do, but back then where the, uh, Intel complex is at, that's where we'd go wheeling at. And so I remember, I remember vividly one time, you know, we'd go at lunch. We had this, this deal at, in high school where we could go four wheeling, like you could go off campus for lunch and we'd always go four wheeling at lunch. And, uh, remember wheeling out there one time and seeing, uh, I didn't know who it was at the time, but it was this dude in this old commando with these, (laughs) you know, it was like, what was he rocking? Like 35 inch boggers back then, which was like a, it was a really big deal to see a Jeep like that. 
and the commando you must be talking rogie no 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 no. this was uh this was scott whitaker actually whitaker okay yeah billy bob there and uh and i was like you know we're just as kids seeing this dude climbing this giant rock pile you know back then you know nobody's around and cutting these trails back there it's just I remember that was a pretty, pretty memorable memory for me. Um, and then actually he ended up living, uh, a block or two away from a buddy of mine. And maybe six months, a year later, I remember seeing him start to build that old black CJ seven he had in an alleyway under a carport, um, <laughs> in the, this must've been 1994. 1996 maybe um seeing that thing go together and uh no so that's that's what we did you know and on the weekends we go up to uh you know up to loon i remember lots of trips up to bassy falls i don't know if you've ever been up there before oh, yeah. or not but that that was like that was the spot for us so you, you know being high school kids you know you get up into the woods driving your old you know driving jeeps and trucks around and you know, doing some stuff you probably shouldn't be doing, you know, you know, you know, yep. losing a little bit, driving how, in the woods and shit like that. How fast he so got that, closed down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, you know, we always tried to clean up, but you get some other, you get some other clowns up there making a big mess of the place. And right. that's, that's why that spot got shut down. I'm sure. But, you know, we were always really respectful of trying to clean up after, after ourselves being up there. But, um, that was a, that was a cool spot. And, I think you can hike back in there now still, but that's, that's a really correct. cool place to, to hike up to that waterfall back there. But lots of good memories wheeling back there and, and camping and having fun. So, Yeah, I used to go up there a lot. Um, well, but, geez, that was in the it was an 86 Chevy one-ton pickup, so it was probably 87, 88, 89, somewhere in there. And yeah. uh, used to wheel up there and then running around with some of the guys from uh, Georgetown, some uh, some of the Land Cruiser guys and uh, some of the Jeep guys. And we'd work our way up and around and come in the backside of Bassey, which... Uh, oh, yeah. You'd take that, that top line, the, the road in from the top and then yep. loop around, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those, those are some yep. good times back then. I remember a pretty good camping experience one time there bear getting into camp pretty good <laughs> anyways would they get into your ice chest and well, i had passed out in the back of this the cj7 and uh <laughs> i had i had spilled a bunch of gold schlager all over myself and uh and i just remember being real worried about that bear wanting to come in and get after that goodness you know but he he pulled ice chest off the hood of that jeep and got got right down to business and tore that thing up and and uh i just so he didn't climb up there and try to lick all the gold schlager off yeah i I don't not not that time no no he started to written hit the air horn there and that got him out of the out of our stuff but that was a that was an interesting memory that I just dug up there chatting with you. I hadn't, <laughs> hadn't pulled that one up out for a long time. <laughs> That's awesome. So then 
when you went to school down there and in, in especially at high school, what kind of things besides general, you know, math, English, that kind of stuff, what were you, uh, what kind of classes are you taking? You know, yeah, any, so uh, I got, there's a, kind of an interesting little story about getting into school down here. And so, you know, in high school and stuff, you know, I, I'm not a super smart guy, but I, I try to try to work hard and put the time in and, and get things done that way. And so in, in high school, you know, I didn't, I didn't test very well. I didn't have very good test scores and, you know, GPA was pretty uh, mediocre, you know, and so I went to go apply to, to school. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I was interested in engineering and, you know, building stuff and doing some things like that. Um, and pretty much every, every college that I applied to, I didn't really put down a major, just kind of general, it was general back then. And you didn't, most of the places you didn't have to declare a major and uh, except for Cal Poly at that time, which is still the case today, you got to declare something. So I knew I was interested in engineering, uh, but I knew it was really competitive to get in. So what I did was I looked, I got the course catalog um, from the year prior and went through all the engineering majors that they offered, you know, civil, electrical, mechanical, um, and then I stumbled upon, uh, a newer engineering division that they had, had started called materials engineering. And, uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. And I, and I looked at the enrollments for all of the majors. And so, you know, you got hundreds of kids and all these other majors trying to get in. And then when I flipped to the materials engineering de- department, and it showed the enrollment and there were 17 kids in the major from the year prior. I was like, I was like, Holy shit. Like there's not enough students to have a department here. They probably want to, they probably want to juice that department a little bit. So I, uh, I applied under that and actually Cal Poly was the only university that accepted me. I was, I was denied, uh, denied at every other college that I, applied to uh, minus a, a couple other state schools. So you work this system. Awesome. Yeah. Just, you know, you look at the numbers and you, you know, there's, I kind of subscribe to the, uh, the philosophy that there's always an angle, you know? Right. So you just gotta, you gotta find the angle and see what the angle is and kind of work it that way. You know, that's, that was good. That I don't think, uh, obviously there was probably a lot of people that didn't think that way. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Even to this day, I think it's, you know, people, it's still a super competitive school. Like I don't like, unless you have like a 4.2 GPA and like SAT score of like 14, 1500, like I don't even think you're considered. So, you know, I get some people that ask me, you know, or, Oh, Hey, I want to go to school here. Like what's, you know, what's the deal. And then I kind of like, I'll lay that story out and, uh, and they're like, oh, well, that makes pretty good sense. Because yeah, so, once they have your money and you're there, you can probably yeah, they, move around. Well, that's a that's another story, and I I can chat about that here real quick. But okay. uh, just recently, I helped a a family friend get in under kind of the same deal. Um, so what I did is, well, was it? <clears throat> I was studying engineering. I was doing okay. 
on the major coursework and stuff like that. Um, but I was just getting my ass kicked on some of the, you know, engineering support classes, like the high end calculus stuff and, and the physics stuff. Like I would study for hours and hours and hours and just like, I just couldn't do it, you know, like I just couldn't do it. And so I was, you know, walking the line on academic probation all the time, every other quarter. And then, uh, I got, I hooked up with a, a buddy of mine and, uh, he's like, Hey, you know, he, he kind of was in the same spot. He was in another, another engineering department and was having a tough time. And he came across another major. It's called the industrial technology. And it was out of the college of business. And basically what that was, is that was a mix between like engineering and business. So, you know, but not getting too, too deep on either. And it kind of geared up more towards like, uh, engineering management type, uh, type of discipline that they were trying to develop. And, uh, and that's what I transferred into. I was actually, you know, they have horror stories about transferring around school, at least at Cal Poly still to this day. And, you know, I remember going in on a Monday and I made an appointment with the, uh, the head of that department at the time, his guy's name was Dr. Fred Abedia, but he was a really wonderful guy. And, uh, he sat me down and we talked about what the deal was. And through engineering, I had completed a lot of the sub, uh, like the prerequisite classes to transfer over. And, and, uh, I had started the transfer process on a Monday. And by the end of the day, Friday of that same week, five days, I had, I was able to migrate over to that, uh, that department. And, you know, I tell that story sometimes today and people are just, that's totally unheard of. I mean, you got people taking three, four, five, six quarters to transfer now, if they, wow. if they're even able to do it at all now. So, um, kind of a, kind of just, again, one of those things, you know, like when the stars align, you know, like, you know, just got to follow the, uh, follow the wind there, you know, doors open and it's uh it's your responsibility to kind of poke your head in there and, and look around and if it looks good, step on through, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, you, you made the comment that you're not, you know, the smartest guy, but it sounds to me like, and knowing you, I would, I would disagree with that overall general statement, first of all. Well, and, I'm smart about different stuff, you know, like you okay. <laughs> book smart, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So how about that? Okay, Perfect. Because I know you got got your sh- shit together because you know you ha- you're running a successful business you built it from the ground up so mm-hmm. congratulations on that but getting back you go you're you're in school high school you uh, your your interests is in engineering stuff like that um, you're driving a a jeep ninety. 91, 92 Wrangler, 95 Wrangler, something like that, you said? Uh, 90, 91, I remember 91. first year of fuel injection. Was, okay, so that was that was the YJ then, square headlight, right? Yeah. Indeed, yep. Okay. And uh, then... I mean, I, I remember to this day, you know, throwing pizzas. That, that Jeep cost me seven grand back then, I remember. I remember the day I bought it, you know? So. <laughs> and uh, throwing dough, slinging dough. Throwing dough, throwing dough, saving up for Jeep shit. Did you uh, did you get into involved in athletics in school? 
did I get involved in what? Athletics? Oh, uh, yeah. Not really, you know. I'm not a super athletic guy, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what did I do in high school? We were doing a lot with the uh, – you know, I like playing the drums a little bit. Still to this day, I pay, you know, playing in an old punk rock band. But, you know, in, in high school, the marching band was really competitive. So we were doing the, the drumline stuff and competing all over California, doing that sort of thing. And um, that took a lot of time. That was, you know, six, eight hours a week plus, you know, competition stuff on the weekend. So that was not, I mean, that's pretty. I wouldn't say that's super athletic, but you know, after some of those competitions, I mean, that's, it's a lot, it's a lot of work, you know, you're carrying drums, marching around. And by the time you, you get out of a performance like that, you're soaking wet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that was about the gist of, you know, what we were doing in high school. We were, you know, we were doing that playing music and, and working on cars and trucks and stuff. So working on Jeeps, I remember helping a buddy of mine, restoring old Alfa Romeo, you know, or doing that sort of stuff and, you know, just doing that and trying to, you know, the, the goal every weekend, the goal is trying to go camping somewhere, you know, or party somewhere, you know, right. It's so, kind of what we were doing. Okay. So didn't, it's not, not too much change once you get into, once you get into college, you know, you got involved with the, uh, Cal Poly had a really good, uh, off-road club. The Poly goats is the name of it. And, they're still around today. I think that's the oldest club on campus they have actually back started back in the sixties. My memory serves me right. Um, so just made a lot of lifelong friends, friends I still have today from that, uh, from that club and also being involved in the, uh, what else did I do in college? We were doing uh, the society of automotive engineers, the SAE club where you build a little mini, you know, they basically, the design constraints, pretty much nothing, but they give you a 10 horse Briggs and Stratton motor and, you know, some, some basic design constraints, safety constraints, basically. Um, and you build a little buggy and go compete collegiately. I remember doing that for about three years. I was a lot, a lot was learned there and that was a lot of fun too. And with, with being involved in the club and then your materials engineering but then switching over to the more business application, which was probably a pretty solid thing for what you're doing now. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, my my education kind of lined up with what what my <laughs> what my day job ended up being, kind of. So it was kind of cool. But yeah, mine didn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I don't think it does for most people, right? I think I think school's important, you know, especially. Uh, college degree you know if you're going to go out and go to work somewhere the, the that sheet of paper that degree is the door opener for you you know that's the opportunity maker you know that's you know the rest is up to you to to make what you want of it but you know i find i found that that's kind of the you know that that kind of will set you above some of the rest if you're going to compete for a, a position somewhere you know so absolutely you got that going and the rest is on your own but that's uh, definitely that helps open some doors to some others that, you know, might not have that or have enough access to an opportunity, you know. So when did, when did poly performance come about? You got, you were still in school though, weren't you? 
Yeah, yeah. So I was in school, um, and you got to understand, this is the late 90s. So um, I want to say must, it was a, it was 99. So I had been in school. I was working at my first real job that I had down down here was uh, there was a mail order company called CCS Mail Order, and they did uh, mail order skateboard and snowboard supplies. So I, I worked in a call center, basically, and just answering the phone and, and hustling kids out of their parents' money, basically, <laughs> was, the, was the job, <laughs> if you will. So they, you know, I don't know if, you know, what the audience here is exactly, but back in the day, they'd send out these little mail mail order catalogs out and uh you'd flip through the catalog and you'd pick the, the skateboard you wanted with trucks you wanted and the wheels you wanted and you know it was my job to make sure that you know when johnny was calling up to order that that he left with more than just a skateboard he left with a new backpack a pair of pants and a fresh pair of you know skate shoes or something you know so um i would say that job really helped kind of dial in and tune in my uh you know, my sales techniques and abilities, I guess you could say, and, uh, and, uh, taught me how to be confident and, and work the phone a little bit, if, it, if that makes sense. And so, uh, after I'd been working there a while, I took a, I took some time off of school and I ended up getting a position up at a company just outside of Folsom in Rancho Cordova called, Rubicon Express. Oh yeah, you might have heard of, heard of that. So, and I think that was in '99. So I started there, uh, basically just you know assembling control arms and assembling parts and packaging things and doing stuff like that. And and uh, by the time I left, I was kind of I was sitting in a welding booth all day. Uh, burning metal, building sway bar links and XJ shackles and Jeep TJ track bars and all kinds of weird shit. We were, we were welding up. So most of that stuff they were making over there was made at a fab shop around the corner. They weren't doing it. They weren't doing too much in house besides the assembly packaging and then the outbound shipping side of stuff, but they were doing some stuff and, and, uh, you know, I was a, kid there in 115 degree Sacramento heat welding in my cutoff jean shorts and <laughs> some old ratty skate shoes catching my shoes on fire I remember many times some jorts huh and, uh, <laughs> yeah no that's how we did it you know <laughs> <laughs> so after spent some time there and you know that was a that was a good opportunity for me right there because that uh that showed me kind of behind the scenes on how, how stuff worked. And I, I was really interested in that. So, um, after leaving there and going back down back to school, this is, you know, late nineties. So the internet's starting to pop right now, you know? And, uh, so what I did is I was back in school and I was working, where was I working back then? I was going to school I was working on campus a little bit, teaching one of the, uh, the metals labs. And then I also had a job 
at Gateway Computers, so doing some more sales stuff. So I had during the day I was selling computers and going to school, and then uh, and then just trying to figure out what my next step was. And so I remember this experience pretty vividly. I was laying in the back seat of a Toyota 4Runner on our way to uh, one of the competitions for the SAE Club, the Mini Baja competitions, and just smashing old English 40s in the back of this 4Runner <laughs> heading out to Kansas. And uh, I came up with the name uh, Polly Performance, actually. So Polly is Polly is Latin for many. I, I had been, you know, let me, let me rewind this a, a minute from there. So I, you know, I was really interested in off-road stuff and the internet was going on right then. So I, I knew I wanted to do something maybe with some internet sales and, and, uh, maybe selling stuff online. Cause nobody was really doing that at that time. And, you know, we were pretty, you know, we were pretty involved with the pirate four by four site. So lots of banner going on there. And, uh, and just thought that I wanted to start selling some, some off-road stuff online. So what, what had happened was, is like, you'd get chatting with a lot of these guys on the internet and they're, you know, this is when people were starting to link stuff, you know, people were getting away from Leaf, you know, they weren't getting away from Leaf Spring stuff, but Lincoln, you know, Lincoln, a Toyota or a Jeep started to kind of be a thing. And so we sat down and learned, learned a bit on how all that stuff sort of works. And so we'd start giving pointers to guys on pirate about setting up link suspension stuff. And then you'd have guys trying to source parts. So what happened was you'd have like, you know, hillbilly, hillbilly Bob out of Alabama, who's building, you know, an old Toyota trying to stick some Rockwell axles underneath this thing and link it up. You know, guys like that were calling places like, off-road warehouse and car tech trying to get advice on how to set suspension up and stuff like that. And, you know, when you can only understand every third word, this guy's saying, like they're pretty much getting hung up on when they're calling places like that. Back right. Then. And so I, I speak hillbilly, you know, <laughs> so I get, I get on and try to help these guys. And so what happened was, is, uh, being involved with the SAE club, I got connected with, uh, uh, a rod end supplier and they had a pretty sweet deal for, for students buying some rod ends and, um, had another buddy working at a machine shop and, uh, uh, just started making some, making some parts and, uh, and the machine shop was uh, actually a, a shock company, a company called Sway Away. Um, there's, I think AFE owns that now. AFE, AFE's making the shocks over there for them. But back in the day, the machine shop uh, was making some machine rod and hardware for me on the swing shift. And so what I did is, uh, <clears throat> you know, I just thought that that's what I wanted to do. So roll forward to the, me riding in the back of this forerunner smashing old E40s on the way out to Kansas. I just, you know, we were, we were at Cal Poly. So Poly was the name that I came up for this company name. So Poly is Latin for many. So it was Poly Performance Off-Road Products originally. 
And uh, if anyone's listening, using the Wayback Time Machine, you can go back on the Wayback, the Internet Wayback Time Machine, and see some of the first iterations of the Poly Performance website back then. But after I came up with the name, um, <clears throat> what I did was uh, I, uh, I just went in my this little eight by eight room I shared with this guy by the name of Pips and uh, Pips knew a little bit about some computer stuff and I knew a, a little bit um, had taken a HTML uh, programming class in college it was a requirement actually um, so that wasn't my choice it just so happened that I had taken that and learned a little some basic HTML programming and you know bought a bought a 30 rack of Budweiser's and didn't come out of my room for four and a half days, I think. And, uh, taught myself some basic HTML programming in there and, uh, launched my first e-com website like that using some basic, uh, some script from PayPal back then. And, you know, and just started slinging some, uh, some rod ends, you know, rod ends helping guys build link suspensions in Alabama basically was the, the start of it. And, uh, you know, just kind of one thing led to another, you know, because I had a uh, sway away making some machine parts on the swing shift, um, became friendly with the, the sales manager there and, uh, and, uh, got going with, uh, with selling some shocks, you know, and just kind of started stacking one thing onto another and slinging more stuff. And then got connected with the, the guys at iBox started selling some springs. And then we started selling some fuel cells and we started selling some seats and shit. Just one thing led to another, you know, it's kind of crazy. So, was everything drop ship back then with selling seats and um, fuel cells and stuff like that? Or did you have to order yeah, it in and I, then reship it? Like some, some stuff was, uh, some stuff was like that, you know, but you know, shocks as they are today, were still kind of hard to get a hold of back in the day. So, you know, you have, uh, you know, you'd have some inventory, you know, you got my, you know, sock drawers full of rod ends and the closets full of fucking coil springs and <laughs> you got stacks of shocks under your bed, you know, <laughs> and, uh, that's kind of how it started. So not too long after that, I realized that I needed to get some space and, uh, got a little, got a little shop shared with a buddy of mine, uh, and just started, just started buying more stuff and trying to sell more stuff and, and I remember back then, you know, I, I'd say, geez, if I could sell, if I could sell a pair of shocks a day, I'd be set for life. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's definitely spooled way up from there. You know, we're selling pallets of shocks a day now, not just a pair, you know? So, um, but back then that's kind of, that was kind of the deal, but, you know, so that was, so poly performance is really born. I would say late 2001 ish and, uh, you know, had, had our first real set of books started January of Oh two, if my memory serves me right. And, uh, just started going from there. You know, I remember 
finishing school right around then and my parents telling me like, Hey, when are you going to get a real job type, you know, that sort of stuff. (laughs) They're not saying that anymore, uh, are they? No, 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 not anymore. (laughs) But that was kind of the, that was kind of the, the talk that I'd have every time I'd chat with them or go and see them, you know, like, (laughs) Hey, are you done uh, goofing off yet? You're going to go get a real job. And, uh, so that's kind of how that happened. But, you know, I, again, I'm not a super smart guy when it comes to stuff. So I knew that, uh, you know, what I had just figured out how to, how to list stuff and sell stuff online. I'm, you know, this is before, you know, Amazon was just barely a thing, you know, and they were just selling books. You know, I didn't, I didn't realize at the time that Bezos, that was just a, the book thing was just a tester for selling everything. Right. Right. And so once he got the, uh, the book thing figured out, he just started stacking on and adding on everything. So, um, I knew that everybody would be selling stuff online and, you know, kind of, you know, Oh three, Oh four. Uh, you know, I'm like better think a little bit harder about trying to make some things, you know? So, uh, a guy I went to college with, we kind of partnered up with, uh, he was working at Sway Away, designing shock absorbers along with another buddy of ours. And, uh, and we started just trying to, trying to make some other stuff. So he was, he was making, working on another Jeep company in, in Bakersfield. And, uh, Oh five, July of Oh five, uh, him and I, we started uh, poly performance manufacturing. Okay. And that was a business to just make stuff that we wanted to make, you know, items that we were buying from other manufacturers that were not of good quality, um, had really bad lead times or had really bad margin. You know, that was the, that was kind of the low hanging fruit because there was sales history there already. So we knew if we could make those, they'd probably go all right. And, uh, so doing that and then, uh, knew that, knew that there was a new Jeep platform coming. So this is fast forwarding a little bit further. Now we're into like 2007 and, uh, so the Jeep JK was coming out and that was a new platform. We knew that all the, uh, Jeep manufacturers were going to need to start over, not from scratch per se, but start over making stuff. So started making uh, a couple steering parts and you know i think the the hardest thing in the beginning was just sourcing things figuring out where to get you know where do we get the bushings to make the control arms and where do we get the tie rod ends to make the steering components and where do we get the you know who do we have make coil springs for us and you know so lots of time and energy went into trying to figure all that stuff out and then and then stepping into, you know, trying to make stuff like making, making five or 10 or 20 of something, it's not too bad, you know, but once you start seeing some orders come in for some big quantity, you know, you really start scratching your head with like, Hey, we should, should really figure out, you know, we got, we, you know, we got something here, something's going, you know, and, and how to get it figured out to where you can make, make more of these widgets we were coming up with. So, and back 
that was back then. What was you know, was there one thing that that stood out that came along and just you just knew that that was uh, kind of like a turning point, or was it just you know everything just kind of went? Um, I mean, everything was really really slow in the beginning. I would say. You know, one of the big turning points for us was uh, we were making some, I think it was a Jeep rocker guard. It was a pretty cool, like, boatside rocker guard that had a high clearance. It was a cool piece. Nobody had really made anything like that. And, and uh, you know, we were starting to get calls from, like, four-wheel parts and, like, Quadratech guys interested in carrying some of the stuff that we were making. And But the... Uh, so keep in mind that, you know, at the time, this is Polyperformance Manufacturing was the name of our company for making parts. So there's Polyperformance and Polyperformance Manufacturing. Right. And, uh, you know, these guys like Foro Parts and Quadratech, they were not, uh, you know, they liked what we got going on, but the Polyperformance name competed with what they had going on, right? Right. So they didn't want to carry Polyperformance stuff because Polyperformance was selling this stuff anyways. So we had... Uh, we had just finished our, our suspension packages. And back then, you know, you'd have like Rubicon express had the extreme duty line, you know, like that was what they called their suspension line. And Terraflex had their LCG stuff. And, you know, every, every suspension manufacturer kind of had a, a name to what they were doing. So I just remember jumping out of the shower one day and I'm kind of into, uh, alliterations, you know, like, you know, I was, what, what we were making suspension stuff. So what, you know, what kind of would jive with suspension. And so I came up with, uh, I had a buddy down here in San Luis that had a screen printing business. It was called Synergy Screen Printing. And, uh, I thought, you know, well, Synergy, that, geez, what does that mean? So you look that up and it means that the sum of all the components is, is greater than, the individual components by themselves. So I, I thought that that really made sense for the, the things we we're making, you know, that the kits were definitely the way to go. If you were using all the parts that we were making together, as opposed to the individual components. So we dubbed the suspension line, the kits, the synergy suspension kit. And through a recommendation of the, uh, the president and the guy running Quadratech, a buddy of mine, um, he goes, Hey, you know, you, you really need to change the name of what you got going on so we can, you know, we can sell it and not feel like we're competing against it. And I said, okay. So synergy suspension was born shortly after. So we kind of peeled off all the things we were making and kind of started to land it under the synergy suspension name. And, uh, you know, I would say 2008, uh, when did that happen? That was, yeah, probably around, oh, nah, maybe 2009, 2010 was when that rolled out like that. Uh, maybe 09. That's, uh, timeline gets a little fuzzy for me sometimes. It's, nope, I understand. There's so many uh, I forgot. So, <laughs> so anyways, that's, uh. That's where that was born. So we, the product line, you know, became Synergy Suspension, and 
we started selling stuff through distribution. Once getting a couple key distribution channels lined up was really a big deal. You know, once we got into like doing floral parts and doing quadratech and stuff like that, things kind of started to, to spool up pretty heavy. And, uh, just kept, kept our heads down and kept digging the ditch and, uh, you know, rolling to 2011, I think, if I'm, if I'm recalling this correctly, um, uh, partner that I had for, for Synergy there wanted to, to move on. And so he left and, I uh, continued driving that boat on my own till today, essentially. But, uh, uh, yeah, just, you know, over time we started making more than just suspension stuff. So, um, and actually got into a little bit of a legal battle about our name. There was another company that sounds similar to what we have that wanted to, wanted to fight me a little bit about our name. So we, from Synergy Suspension, we became Synergy Manufacturing, which made more sense to me because we made more than just suspension components. Right. And, uh, you know, but spent a bunch of money fighting with somebody that wanted to fight, I guess. And we were able to still keep our name. So that was cool. Didn't need to go through the whole rebranding process and, so that's kind of how that was born. And, you know, along the way, you know, you try to push as much uh, stuff you're making on your own through your regular retail channel. So we try to, even to this day, you know, we try to sell as much Synergy gear through Poly Performance as we can, even though Poly Performance has, I don't know, 70 or 80 different brands that we sell currently. So that's kind of kind of how that works. So... Poly Performance also wholesales a lot of stuff now too. Probably like thirty uh, percent of the business there is probably B two B through through doing the wholesale stuff, and that does real good for us as well as taking care of our regular retail customers. Excellent. So, I hopefully that painted the the picture a little bit about how that that works and how that happened. I guess absolutely, absolutely. But I, I did leave out a pretty important part. You know, there's a lot of going to events and doing stuff back in the day. And I I remember going to a lot of your your events that you would put on, Rich. You and I remember when your your kids were little, you know, <laughs> out there helping you set those courses up. And I'd be out there and uh, my, you know, my little 10 by 10 Walmart easy up and a banner and trying to talk to, you know, guys competing and enthusiasts out there watching and you know just doing all that stuff from the beginning you know doing the first uh going to some of the what was it arca is that what yep. was back then arca then you rock and you rock and, and yep. then yeah we did the cow rocks and we rock yep yep all that stuff but i just i remember going out there and sleeping in the the back of my truck and <laughs> hanging out and watching guys compete back when nobody would show up. And, uh, it was fun. That was a lot of fun back then. Absolutely. And you were able to build the business and expand during, well, it would, it was the, 
the dark ages, I guess, that, that 08, 09, <laughs> 010, 010. Well, um, see, that was an interesting time because we, uh, you know, we were still new. I mean, still pretty new, you know, and business was growing. We were adding lines and selling more stuff. And through that whole economic turn, the 06, 07, 08, like, there's no down years for us. I go back and I can go and review the financials back then. And, you know, there's no year where we took a hit. I mean, it would just kept going and going and going. We just, you know, I just, we put all, put our heads down and just hammered right through it, you know? So. That's great. Cause pretty- I, you know, of so many companies that were, were, they, they were smaller companies, but they were, mm-hmm. You know, th- it was a hard survival time back then. You know, the JK, well, see, the JK kind of kept things going, but absolutely, absolutely. I would say the other thing that that happened then, and there was a, you know, the e-commerce thing still wasn't fully, you know, like there were companies fighting it still and not wanting to get on board, and you know, those companies that fought e-commerce are the ones that got left in the dust, and. uh you know, not just not just automotive or and what we were doing, but that's like across the board. Like I know, I got a buddy of mine who has a he had a big bike distribution business. It was all through mail order catalog, and he fought the internet and didn't get on board when it was time. And fuck, that guy, that guy got smoked. You know, I mean, he's doing it today, and things are okay. You know, but you know. If you didn't get on board with e-com early on, you were you're getting left in the dust. So, right. I was just right place, right time and you know, I could read the writing on the wall. There this is, you know, e-commerce was the wave of the future, you know. Guys want to sit in their underwear and order parts from their living room while they're pounding beers and watching NASCAR, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> you know, that guy doesn't what that guy doesn't want to go to the store. Maybe he does. If he wants, if he can get some good help over the phone, I'm like, why leave the couch? True. Yep. So, but I will say, you know, I do attribute a lot of the success that we had, um, you know, early on, you know, just being real active on, on pirate four by four, you know, I, fortunately that site was born in my backyard. So, you know, Lance Clifford started that thing and he just, you know, he lived up the road from me. I, I wasn't tight with him back then, but you know, some of the guys that were in that club were lived down the hill and in, in the neighborhood. So, um, just getting connected that way. And then, um, it just so happens that another one of the guys that own pirate camo, uh, you're familiar with him. Oh, so yeah, Eric, yep. he, yeah. So Mr. Eric Linker, he was living in, uh, Morro Bay, California, which is 15 minutes from me. And he was over there running his glitter. He had a glitter factory. Like I was telling, you know, get 50 gallon drums of glitter in and break it up and put it in little packages and such at the Walmart and Joann's and Michael's and stuff like that. And actually that was, I was planning on, uh, I had talked to him about going to work for him actually when I was finishing up school before my my business started to get some traction. I, I remember one instance vividly uh, selling rod ends to him for a buggy. He was having John Hall build in his backyard. 
in uh, probably 2000, selling, selling rod ends out of the back of my Tacoma. <laughs> <laughs> so, but again, just right place, right time. Like, I just happened to, to run into that guy, and, you know, he was basically running that board living 15 minutes from me. It's kind of incredible. Right. But, you know, we were, you know, Poly Performance was the first paid vendor on that site back in the day and that was where we went to to sling sling parts and help guys build rigs yep it helped me get to get things started it was kind of a oh, yeah. you know the, the advertising there i mean god when i got on that board it was when i met lance and 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 rogie it was down there in arizona that first year at arca and mm-hmm. found out that where they were from, and my wife was from that area, and mm-hmm. knew, every, you know, people knew every, each other and stuff. And I knew I was moving back to California, and that's what we ended up doing. And then I started Cal Rocks at that point, and first one was mm-hmm. November two thousand and one. Now I have a very, very vivid remem- uh, memory of of Lance and Rogie. Um, it was an Arca event. In uh, not St. George, but what's the Cedar City? Uh, Cedar City, <laughs> and these guys were wheeling their shit, and what was it? it was like obstacle A something, and there was a climb at the top of this hill, and they were in uh, they were in a Land Cruiser, I think, and they were high centered on an obstacle, and fucking this is the craziest shit bob bob was driving lance was spotting bob throws his string into low low first gear and just lets the clutch out and the tires are just creeping and they both get out and start pushing and pulling on this thing and there's nobody driving it and it's just <laughs> the fucking crowd was going ape shit where you had to have been there for that did you remember yeah. you remember that at oh, all yeah absolutely they stayed oh, at my dude. house during that cedar city event what year was that, Rich? That that was that first Cedar City event was ninety nine. Yeah, ninety nine, dude. I that was the craziest shit I ever seen. That's, That's when Lance incredible. stepped on the uh, on the fire extinguisher and it blasted in his face because he was hanging onto the cage trying to rock it back and forth and stepped yeah. on the on the fire extinguisher and uh, people were losing it. It was it was bananas. It was crazy. Yeah, what a what a great what a great time. So anyway, yeah. So Rubicon still kind of the home trail for you. Oh yeah, that's the all, anything NorCal up there. That's the home track for me. So I try to hit. You know, I I'm I do a lot of events now. You know, and most of the events that I do are just me stuck at a vendor booth you know, talking to people, which is fine. You know, I have, I have a lot of fun doing that, but I do like going out and, and wheeling. So I try to make sure that we're hitting, uh, you know, Jeepers Jamborees for every year is, is a good trip for me. It's not just a work event. It's a, it's a wheeling trip. That's, that's fun. Um, so I always like to try to do all the Jeepers Jamboree trips, the big and small trip. And it's been a while since I hit the Sierra Trek event, but you know, Ford Ice and stuff is really fun too. So Anything up there is is all good, and we got our little NorCal office that we can 
crash at and work out of if we need to up there. So, yeah, and it's nice to, you know, anytime I go past through, I'm able to go see and check in on my family. My parents are still up there and my great aunt and uncle and uh, my sister and, and her husband and my niece and nephew are up there. So always a good time to be able to go see them. And they, uh, and like you said, your, your parents don't give you a hard time about getting a, a real job anymore. <laughs> <laughs> not, not too much anymore. You know, it's, it's grown quite a bit. You know, we have a, you know, for me by myself starting and we are running, uh, what do we got now? 50 guys between both companies and, and, uh, you know, we're in two, two big buildings looking for more space now. And, uh, and you know, things are cruising, you know, running a business is, you know, it's a crazy, crazy thing and it's, it has its highs and it has its lows, but you know, you know, once you get that, that snowball rolling and you get some momentum behind it, you can kind of, you can kind of relax a little bit, you know, but here and there, but I, that's, that's not how I roll. You know, we're always, you know, to me enough is never enough. I keep pushing for more and more and more and trying to hammer on it some more and get more done and invent more things and sell more stuff. And, and, uh, just kind of keep, keep pushing it. You know, it's just, you know, I, I equated it, you know, being the coach of the baseball team or the football team, you know, we're, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep moving the ball forward. And, you know, sometimes you gotta back up and punt, but, you know, sometimes you gotta throw the hell Mary and sometimes you just gotta keep your head down and run and run the ball. You know what I'm saying? So, right. um, running a business to me, I think is, and I've never been a coach of a sports team, but I kind of, uh, equate that to what I, uh, what I do now, you know, my job's to make sure we got good people, uh, at, at the office doing the work. And uh, I'm happy to say we got some guys here that have been there a long, long time that, you know, that have, that have put the blood, sweat and tears in and along with me that I've been able to take, take with me along the ride. And, you know, as the business grows, I'm able to help take care of these people more and more. And not just because of me, it's because of their own hard work too, you know? So, I, I for sure wouldn't have nothing if it wasn't for our people. You know, we got, we got great people working with us at the office. So, and you're, you're manufacturing your own stuff for Polly, but Polly is, is it, there's not, a, it's not truly a, a brick and mortar. It is all e-commerce, correct? No, I mean, we have a store where people can kind of come in. So we do have a service department where, you know, we're, we're building trucks every day, you know, we're building Toyotas and Jeeps and shit. I think we built a, what we build last week, a, a van, you know, doing some of these van jobs, you know, a little bit. So I don't know. We'll, we'll take on any job as long as it's paying. All right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, uh, we got a little bit of bandwidth, so we're not in a highly populated area. So it's not like there's a ton of, a ton of service work like that. But uh, there's enough, and we're able to be pretty pretty picky about what we're what jobs we pick up. You know, you know the guy that shows up with a '88 half ton Chevy that wants to put a you know some cheap lift on there. You know, those are the guys we'll tell them we just can't help them out. You know, but somebody rolls in with a new 392 JL and they want to go to town on it. Like we'll help them with that sort of deal. You know, right. 
So, what do you think of uh, of all the? What, what's the best word? To, the best way to phrase this? The, so many companies are being bought up. You know, they're they're creating all of these like keystones and and financial investment companies that are buying up and putting together all these larger companies, you know, creating. Yeah. There's, there's some stuff out there happening. You know, I see, you know, the private equity groups coming in wanting to get a a piece of this automotive space. that's popping pretty heavy, you know? Uh, So there's outsiders that come in that try to buy their way in and there's existing groups that are involved in the space trying to, basically add what's called a a bolt on, you know, bolting on to what they got going on. Right. Um, That's definitely a thing that's happening out there. Are you, you're you're not looking for something like that, you know, build it and and sell it. Do you want to, I mean, if the right offer, (laughs) well, I'm the, I'm the type of guy that, you know, everything's for sale. It just has to be, if you, if you don't have that mindset with things and, I think that's bad business to me. So everything's always for sale. Um, you know, am I out there trying to work a deal or do something? Nah, I'm, I'm happy with what I got going on. I'm extremely content with what we're doing and how we're doing it. And, uh, you know, we ain't, we don't have any money problems. I got plenty, you know, you know, everything's real good right now, you know, especially (laughs) you, you would have thought with this, covid stuff happening that uh that would have slowed things down people getting real nervous you know when, when that started happening they started locking things down in the beginning of 2020 you know but uh with the government printing a bunch of money and people working from home and still making what they were making you know they got a little extra money and they're not spending money traveling and going on vacation so you know the guy that's working from home He's taking his 15 minutes. He goes out to his garage. He's staring at his Jeep and pieces in his garage. He's like, shit, I might as well start working on this thing or put it together. Or, hey, I want to buy this for it. Or I want to buy that for it. And, you know, pretty much any of the the recreation that was happening at that time, you know, is people going out on their own, you know, people going out and doing their own Jeep trips and their own camping trips and things like that where, you know, there weren't a lot of people involved in any type of event where you could kind of go off and do it on your own without a bunch of people, you know, that's right. kind of the stuff that was popping. Boat stuff was popping. RV stuff was popping. Camping, four-wheeling stuff's popping. Um, Still, you, yeah, you, you know, go be- buy vehicle, you go buy any, any new car lot and companies are lucky. These car lots are dealers are lucky if they've got 25% of their lot filled. Oh yeah. No, it's, that's a whole nother topic. That's a, some supply chain stuff that they're having issues with. So, I mean, it's crazy because being in California, I remember when, uh, you know, in March, you know, when they kind of shut everything down, like do the, I remember the police, the police department called me and they said, Hey, you know, everything we're shutting down, everything's supposed to be shut down, you're not supposed to be operating. And I just I told him to fuck off. I just said, Hey, <laughs> I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep working 
I don't care what the fines are. You can come arrest me and put me in handcuffs and haul me off. As long as my guys want to go to work, I'll be there to open the doors and let them come to come to work, you know? And, uh, that was just, my mind was totally blown that people were like, that was a thing. Like the government was trying to shut everything down. It was, it was madness. And I, I still look at it right now and I go, I go, Rich, has the world gone mad? What in the hell is this? You the last I mean? two years, yes, it has. Yeah. So, but, but back in the beginning, like that's, that's how it happened. You know, I, you know, I did file some paperwork and, and claim, you know, there was some exemption stuff out here in California, you know, automotive repair service type stuff was, uh, was an area of, that was exempt, you know, but, I didn't even, I didn't even play that, you know, that the police tried to shut me down twice. Actually, that happened two times. (laughs) And again, I just, you know, when they called again, I said, no, you can come arrest me and haul me to jail. If you, if you think that that's what you got to do. And I don't care what the daily fines are, thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, whatever you want to bill me. A, I wouldn't pay it. And B, you I'm just going to throw it in the trash, you know? And, uh, and they didn't do shit. I just, it just, A, it made me so angry that they were doing that. And then B, like, I just keep thinking like how, like, I just kept thinking how soft people were to just abide. To roll over. They just fucking rolled. People are just, they got like, where were all the people standing up for themselves? I mean, there were a lot of people that did, you know, but, but it just, man, I don't know. I just, I didn't subscribe to that, you know, and, you know, COVID's a very real thing there. There's people getting sick. I, I've known several people that have passed away from it and I'm not here to right. to say that it's not a real thing or whatever, you know, it's definitely a real thing, you know, and if you, if you're worried about it and you think you're subject to to getting it worse and making you sicker, then stay away, stay at home, get vaccinated, do whatever you got to do. But, you know, geez, I know people that have gotten sick and gotten some real weird uh, medical issues that arise after that vaccine also. So it's hard, hard to say one way or the other. I know for me, I just, you know, like I said, as long as my guys were, were willing to come to work and, you know, we sent everybody home that could work from home and guys that wanted to come to work, I was there every day to, to make sure we were open and they were able to work and, and feed their families, you know? Perfect. Yeah. So what's next? Anything, anything on, um, the, on the horizon that uh, you can share? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, over time, you know, Polly just does what we do over there. We're just, you know, it's pretty much the game right now is just having stuff. So, you know, our purchasing department has got the green light to just drop big, big bombs on trying to get, get stock, you know, shocks are a pretty big game for what we do. And all the shock companies are like, it's getting a little bit better, but they're, they're looking at like 12 month lead time. So, you know, you're having to order a year in advance. So you're dropping big, big, 
you know, six, seven figure POs on, on stuff to try to get ahead of it. Cause it's like, it's one of those things where if you have it, you'll sell it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, um, just dropping big bombs on, on trying to get inventory and, and, uh, just trying to have stuff. So a lot of these, you know, uh, what, like 30% of our business at Polly's B2B. So these, a lot of customers buying from Keystone, Premier, Meyer, Turn 14, stuff like that. So we're able to, to get some of those customers buying from us just because we have stuff that some of these other guys don't. Um, Paulie's always been really good at having some weird exotic stuff, you know, stock and bypass shocks and weird big coilover stuff and just kind of stuff that some of those other places won't stock. We're pretty good at having. And then, uh, you know, pushing our own brand of stuff and, you know, just stacking on and, and doing that sort of thing. So Paulie's just cruising, doing that stuff. Uh, Synergy, you know, we had a, uh, we're not all the way done with our JLJT stuff. We still got some other suspension stuff that we're working on. Um, but we're probably 80% done on the development on those platforms. Um, uh, our Ram truck product stuff at Synergy is really doing well. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the steering components we make. So we, we cover all second gen stuff to current. So, 94 to today we cover a lot of steering components it's pretty popular for us and then uh uh about oh what are we at about three or four months away now from launching uh some super duty stuff so 05 and up super duty steering stuff we got coming uh some stuff i've never seen anybody else do really really cool stuff so what kind of sets our steering components apart especially on like steering tie rods and uh, stuff like that. So we use, uh, we like to heat treat a lot of the bars that we're doing where I don't think any other manufacturers heat treating their steering components. So that when you're, when you're doing that process on some of this high carbon alloy stuff, you're able to double the tensile strength of the material. So our steering stuff is pretty much bulletproof. Um, I would, you know, you see a lot of guys too, uh, aluminum products are really hot right now in that space. Aluminum control arms, aluminum steering components. And, uh, we've looked at doing that, but, uh, aluminum is pretty dangerous in my book. You know, it doesn't have a infinite fatigue life like carbon alloys do. So you end up having some failures with that material, uh, over time. And when it goes, it kind of goes out of the blue. So, uh, just got to, don't really recommend doing that stuff for that reason. It's pretty dangerous. So we try to stick to running those heat treated bars and doing stuff like that. Um, so we have, we have that going right now. Super duty stuff's really close. Um, doing some more ball joint applications with synergy. And then, uh, uh, right at the end of the year there, I picked up a Bronco. So lots of buzz about that new Bronco. Yep. Uh, coming and you know we got really good at making steering components so i got a couple ideas for uh some steering components on that platform lots of guys having issues guys breaking tie rods and blowing the racks out of them so uh after koh 
here. We'll, we're gearing up to get out to be out, be a part of that event next or was it a couple of weeks out? We'll be two weeks out of the race right now. So yep. we'll be out there for that. And then once we get back to the lab there, we'll start tearing a brand new Bronco apart and making some Bronco parts and, uh, doing that, you know, we're just real busy staying on top of making the, the existing product line that we're, we're making at Synergy and, and, uh, you know, just not trying to do anything too different, but just, you know, just a couple things that I think it'll do well and just trying to move the ball forward. And, you know, again, with a lot of the supply issues that are happening right now, we're just trying to concentrate on having, having product, you know, uh, if you have it, you'll sell it kind of thing right now. So it's not a, not a whole lot of competition in, in regards to that, just cause a lot of people are running out of stuff. So, you know, if you're able to have it, you're, you're getting uh first dibs on, on guys wanting, you know, if you make up a, a replacement part for a, you know, a Jeep JL and there's three other competitors to that, but you know, they're all sourcing stuff overseas or having supply issues on material. Um, you know, if we're able to, to beat people to the punch like that, that seems to be really the hot ticket for us. Perfect. Cool. That. And, uh, well, the last thing we got going on is we're getting ready to, uh, to do like a dealer portal at poly. So, um, you know, always continuing on our, our retail game, but, uh, we'll be having a, a wholesale side back end where guys can log in and see live inventory, see what we have and place orders online that way. Uh, similar to, uh, you know, how trans and Meyer and some of these other big wholesalers have. So that should be, I'm shooting for end of the second, excuse me, end of the second quarter to, to get that going. So that'll be cool if we can get that, that rolling. But yeah. other than that, it's just, just keeping our heads down and keep, and keep working. And, you know, we're just trying to take real good care of this business that we have, you know, cause if we take care of this business and treat it right and, and don't abuse it, it'll, it'll take care of all of us, you know, not just, you know, me, I'm just, my main, my main priority and, and goal is just to make sure we're taking good care of our guys and our crew, you know, that our employees are everything to me. And I, I love all of them. And I would just, I work real hard to take care of them because, because if we do that, I know that the rest will be taken care of. So. Perfect. Well, on, on yeah. that note, I'd like to say thank you so much for, for coming on board and, and sharing your history and, and how the, the business, how you were able to grow the businesses and develop those. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's a, it's been a long road, 20, 22 years ish. And, uh, you know, I would, I would end it with, there's no silver bullet and a magic thing that was done. You know, it's just a lot of years of hard work and digging in the ditch and you'll dig and dig and dig. And just every once in a while you're, you'll stick your head up and you'll see kind of where you've come from and, you know, and just be, be proud of the work that you did and be proud of your guys and be proud of the team and, and just put your head back down and keep digging. There's no, there's no magic ticket. There's no silver bullet. There's just, a lot of hard work and a lot of having the trying to have the right guys and the right help. That's it. Cool. All right. So 
All right, Dave. All right, Rich. Thank you. Thank you so much for the time. Appreciate being a part of your, uh, your, uh, I don't know, do you call it a podcast? Or yeah, it's, what a, is it's a podcast. You... Yep. Okay. Yeah, so and... yeah, I, uh, I appreciate it very much and feel free to call me back anytime you want. All right. And I'll, uh, I'll let you know here when we're going to air it and hopefully you'll share it. Sounds good. We'll share it out and I'll, uh, I'll catch you on the lake bed. Hopefully. All right. Talk to you later. All right, buddy. Take it easy. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating, share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.